Well, on with the show, and we're very pleased to have as our opening speaker here, uh, David Bailey. And he deserves the honor of being the keynote address at this conference for two reasons. One is, this conference was initially his idea. The second reason is, he has been one of the most untiring advocates of Mormonism and science working together for many, many years. Um, David is a uh, recently retired from the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory and is affiliated with University of California, Davis. You can read about many of his awards and accomplishments in the bio and, and on the web at davidbailey.com, if I got it right. Uh, davidhbailey.com, okay. Uh, and then um, uh, I, I guess I just want to uh, say how I've enjoyed knowing him personally over the years. We first got acquainted, uh, he's a computer scientist and a mathematician on the computer science side. We first served together in the NASA REAC Science Council, low these many years ago, and uh, had a very enjoyable rapport and relationship. Uh, on the mathematics side, I, I'm not a mathematician myself, but I did uh, uh, go to him for advice with my son at the Lawrence Berkeley Lab, uh, who was considering a PhD in math at the time. Uh, David tried very hard to dissuade him, telling him stories of uh, mathematicians with PhDs driving cabs in New York City all throughout the 70s and 80s, but did little to dissuade him, as I guess it didn't dissuade his own children. But uh, he has been a, a great mentor to many young people, including his own children over the years, and I want to thank him for his mentorship to me and to many others. At this time, we'll turn the time over to David Bailey to keynote this presentation. Well, yes, if you go to davidbailey.com, as I recall, that's some, a flamboyant British fashion photographer that was uh, <laughs> married four times, each time to a younger and blonder uh, woman. Uh, uh, I, I'm not him. But, uh, so, I will talk about science and religion. Uh, can this marriage be saved? And I think there are a lot of, uh, of parallels here to... Uh, perhaps a, a marriage counselor uh, talking with a, uh, uh, a, a couple that's having, having problems and trying to see where they have commonality can move forward. Um, can we go, go to full screen? Excellent, thank you. So everyone, I think, will recognize that uh, science is really an indispensable part of today's society. The, the remarkable achievements of the last... 50 to 100 years are, are really beyond belief, unlike any time previous in human history. Um, and, you know, all you need to do is reach in your pocket, pull up a, uh, uh, an iPhone or, or whatever, and this is technology that would have been inconceivable even a few years ago. Sometimes I talk, in, when I'm talking in the high-performance computing uh, crowds, and I, and I compare my iPhone to the... Uh, some of the early supercomputers that, that I worked on. And, but I um, warned the audience that's really not a fair comparison because after all, the iPhone has a lot more computing power and many times more uh, memory capacity than the supercomputer. So similarly, religion plays a really important role. Uh, there's some really kind of amusing statistics here. Um, it says 92% of Americans believe in God but so do 21% of atheists and 55% uh, of agnostics. Maybe some people need a course in theology here. Uh, but even in a more fundamental sense, 
this notion of having a very deep awe and reverence for the world about us and the, the, the laws of the universe. 37% um, of atheists and 48% of agnostics, even more than the population uh, at large, will uh, agree that this is something they just think about uh, at least on every, every, almost every day. And so when we, we talk about belief in God, this is really something that's far more than just uh, the usual statistics. Um, but so anyway, it's very clear. Any, any movement today that just denies science is going to be dead in the water. And any movement that uh, denies or dismisses religion is similarly going to be uh, dead in the water. Uh, as Hugh B. Brown once said, peace and brotherhood will, will come when both of these two worlds can talk together. So it's, with this background, it's really sad uh, to myself and to many other scientists and, and um, religious believers that there has sort of been an increasingly nasty war being fought in the public arena between science and religion. It's a war that many of us just see no need for and are really disappointed that it's, it's gone on as long as it has. Um, I was sort of, when I was preparing this talk, I was sort of grappling, trying to, what, what are the, the, the proper labels here? Because Camp A, it's mostly uh, people of atheistic uh, backgrounds, but not, not really. And Camp B, B is mostly of people of, of somewhat very fundamentalist views, but not entirely. And so to avoid, let's just call it Camp A and Camp B. But what's important to note that even in Camp A, there are many prominent scientists that don't, that don't like the rhetoric. Hi, uh, Chrissy and Michelle. Uh, that don't like the rhetoric of Camp A. And there are many prominent religious leaders who, who, don't, who reject the, the rhetoric of Camp B. So it's, it's really not a... It's a very fuzzy uh, categories here, but many youth are confused. Do they have to choose one extreme or the other? Or as we might say, can this marriage be saved? So let's just look, what are we really talking about here? Um, what we mean by Camp A are these groups that, um, that they, they, they tell us that religion is fundamental and irrational, fundamentally an irrational enterprise. And... Um, that science is really the only route to truth. Sometimes this is known as scientism. That, uh, that, all, that the only truth that really exists is that that can be uncovered by science. And that all propositions, even the existence of God, uh, must be subjected to scientific analysis. And if it can't be upheld, should be rejected. Um, one that they often point that not only is science irrational, but it's, it's downright harmful, or religion is, is irrational, it's downright uh, harmful. Uh, then they point, say, to the history of religious wars through the years as evidence of this. And they blame uh, religion for many of society's ills. One writer says, religion is violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism, and bigotry, invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women and coercive towards children. So to which I would say, uh, did he forget anything here? <laughs>
uh, so, and it's often, they often say this is an all or nothing matter. They often criticize people who try to find a more moderate middle ground. Um, needless to say, this literature has come into some criticism. And not just from religious-minded people. Some very serious uh, scholars um, are often, are often find a lot of faults with this literature. I, I certainly, as I started to um, investigate this, and uh, I thought, well, if I'm going to try to talk intelligently about it, I'm going to have to uh, read some of this. And, well, it's not very good from a scholarly point of view. Uh, there's a, quite a number of errors that, that are made. They highlight the teachings of some very dogmatic religious people and then try to paint all religious people with the same black brush. Um, they dismiss or ignore many of the positive values, proven positive values of religion. It's like the historian Will Durant said that there is no significant example in history before our time of a society successfully maintaining social uh, life or more moral life without the aid of religion. Um, another criticism is that they, they pre present a lot of scientific proofs that there can't be a, a, a supreme being, but this is fundamentally philosophically wrong. Science by its very definition cannot say anything one way or the other about God. So when you see some of these writers using a scientific argument against God, well, that can't be right, can it? Um, another, this idea of sort of rejecting anything that's not strictly within the, the purview of empirical science, well, if we reject religion, then we'd also have to reject art, literature, music, philosophy, just about any other aspect that we require, we all regard as an essential part of life. Um, one thing on that, that I've noticed in particular when I started to look at some of this is uh, I, I'm a great fan of history. I, I read Will and Durant's 11-volume uh, series, The Story of Civilization, some Sometimes you've seen this collection. I, it's over 10,000 pages. I read every page. I uh, loved it. But one of the things that really makes clear that even that these religious wars, particularly like, say, the wars of the Reformation, these were fought mostly on, on secular, on political grounds. Religion was really only the, the superficial uh, reason for going to war. But it was really a lot more about the northern European nations trying to be politically independent from southern Europe. So when, when some of these writers bring up religious wars as evidence that religion, religion is fundamentally wrong, well, that can't be right, can it? Anyway, none of this material, as far as I'm aware, is ever is written and published in peer-reviewed uh, publications. And so my reaction is if any of these writers really think that they have some new insights, then they really ought to write this up in a um, serious article and submit it to a journal in theology or philosophy or religious studies. Um, failing that, well, it's hard to take it very seriously. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned even some very secular, non-religious 
writers have really found a lot of faults with this literature. Um, um, here are just a few from published book reviews um, uh, of, of some real criticism to this literature, like this Brian Davies there. He's, he's not at all a religious-minded person, but he, he just calls uh, one of these works to be a deeply flawed book that uh, just does not uh, meet the standards of serious scholarship. So let's look at the, the Camp B. Uh, it's very interesting, as I started to look in this, that a lot of the characteristics of these two movements are alike, like Hugh Nibley once pointed this out, how that uh, through a history, warring movements tend to start looking a lot like each other. And I think that's the case here too. Um, the Camp B people are completely agree that science is complete, uh, is utterly irreconcilable with religion. The Camp B people, they're very big on biblical inerrancy to a degree that goes far beyond the LDS view. Joseph Smith, right from the beginning, he came to the conclusion that, that all of these warring sectarian preachers around him, they couldn't all be right. And that, that just gave that the Bible was fundamentally not detailed and not complete enough to answer a lot of these questions. And other LDS writers have pointed out that their material has been deleted from the Bible and other, there are questionable editions. The book, The Song of Solomon, is usually regarded as not inspired. Um, and in general, there's agreement that the scriptures were not intended to be read primarily as a scientific treatise. Um, but the, these groups, they, they really want to see the Bible as the complete and infallible uh, word of God. Um, they spend a lot of effort trying to find criticisms of, of science and criticisms of the scientific uh, theories and that they argue that it's technically as well as theologically in error. Um, and they, and they, they identify phenomena that can't be explained by science. Um, they, some of them suggest that the reason that our world appears old is because God created it that way with an appearance of age as a test of faith. And like the um, campaign, they tend to blame science for many of, sci of society's ills. And again, you'll find uh, here's another long string of uh, ills that are blamed on science and it raises the question, did he forget anything there? Um, and again, like Camp A, they argue this is an all or nothing matter. They, they are very critical of people who find, try to find a moderate middle ground. Um, so again, criticisms, just like the Camp A literature, it's often rather blustery in tone. It's, it would never be, be acceptable for publish, being published in, in peer-reviewed literature. And they tend not to bring out new scientific data or insights, but uh, tend to review a lot of, um, of, of uh, ideas that are really kind of old. They, um, um, as far as their technical criticisms of science, these are generally kind of outdated. And most scientists and most even most 
really devout scientists, most LDS scientists uh, agree that most of this type of literature is, is really not sound scientifically. Um, the one thing that concerns me is that by trying to prove God, by finding phenomena that, that can be explained by science, this leads to what some people call God of the gaps theology, which is often a source of disappointment. People say, I, I base my faith on the fact that science can't explain X, and then later, as science can explain X, then they have a, a crisis of faith. So this really, this isn't a good way to go, in my view. And, uh, and again, and it's not published in peer-reviewed uh, uh, sources. So uh, many feel that if these, some of these people think that they have some valid concerns about science, well, write it up, submit it to a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, we'd, we'd like to hear from it. Um, this appearance of, of age theory, uh, to me, is, again, of a, uh, a particular concern. Uh, in my view, this would lead to, to the, the very problematic notion that, that God is deliberately uh, making the world uh, appear phony. And I just can't believe that that's, that's a productive way to go. We look at, uh, we imagine all of the specks of rock on the, on the, on the earth and that they've all been kind of jiggered with their, their nuclear isotopes to look old, well, or that light coming from distant stars, that, that was, that's not really, uh, that's not really going to work. So, um, Let's just go on here for, um, let's look at some of the commentary of religious figures, uh, and in particular, some LDS figures. The, um, like B.H. Roberts uh, mentioned that on the, he says that the, to insist that the whole of, of, uh, of all of the life and death came is just within the last few thousand years, that's, that's not going to work. Uh, James E. Talmadge uh, mentioned that how that we shouldn't view the Bible as a work of of, uh, of science, and then there are a couple of others from non-LDS sources here. Um, and again, I think we agree that neither of these camps would would pass peer review. Um, an ancient account said that when uh, when Euclid was, was uh, tutoring Ptolemy uh, on, on geometry, and Ptolemy said, isn't there an easier way to do it? And, and Euclid said, well, uh, there's no royal road to geometry. And I think the same thing goes here for either science and religion. If you're going to critique science, you really can't do it from outside of science. And if you're going to critique religion, you've really got to lead a religious life and seriously studying it if you want credibility. So, can this marriage be saved? Yes. Um, we have to recognize, first of all, that uh, science and religion both have their, their they have a separate set of questions that, to a certain degree that they look at. 
uh, science really can't say anything about the existence of God or morality or salvation. And religion really can't tell us about the mass of the electron or the equations of relativity. Uh, uh, nonetheless, um, uh, we might, let me just go ahead. There are a lot of things that are in common. Uh, we read in Nephi, Second Nephi, that we should never say, we have received and we, re we need no more. This is something that very much resonates with scientific uh, progress. Uh, there's this idea of progress. Uh, once I was reading this book by Robert Nisbet on the idea of progress, and he defined it as the notion that mankind has advanced in the past, is now advancing, and may be expected to continue advancing in the future. I thought, whoa, this guy must be BLVS. That's just almost a, a restatement of the ninth article of faith. But no, he's... he's... But I, I think you agree that there is a real commonality in this notion of, of scientific progress and within the, the context of the law of eternal progression that we read in the LDS church. And a reverence for the elegant laws and the, the elegance of the universe of... There's a scientific colleague of mine who hasn't really seriously practiced religion in many years, but he, he told me very frankly that, that the, the magnificence and the, uh, the elegance of the laws underlying the universe were so uh, moving that he said he's, by that regard, he's a devoted worshiper. And so... One really clear point, if anyone said, what did this Bailey guy talk about when he was giving his talk? To me, the real crux of this is that LDS teachings on, on natural law that several, numerous times throughout the history of the church, LDS leaders have emphasized that there really isn't anything like a miracle that's, that's totally outside the realm of natural law. There may be things that happen that are natural laws that we don't yet understand, but that they, there are no things that are contrary to, to natural law. Everything, there are really natural laws. The world really does obey natural laws, and we can learn about those laws. And here are just a few quotes. Um, Talmadge, in particular, just says, you know, in, the, in, his, in his writing, said, miracles that are commonly regarded as occurrence in opposition to the uh, laws of nature, he said, that's, that's wrong. There are no such, the, the laws of nature are inviolable. We really do have, and, and God acts through, through natural laws. So if God is acting, um, through natural laws, and if the world operates through natural law, why do we have a war? This, this notion to me completely undercuts the whole need for a war between science and religion. And I, I just wish this was a, were a lot better appreciated. To me, this is Mormonism's key contribution to this discussion of science and religion. That the, the fundamental notion here completely removes the need for a war between science and religion. Other LDS uh, leaders have made some very positive uh, comments on, on science. I won't go through these, just um, there's some more. 
Um, President Hinckley just said, he says, in the, the 20th century, referring to the 20th century, it's been the best of all centuries. He talks about life expectancy, all the miracles of science. Uh, he says this is almost beyond belief. This is not the talk of someone who is opposed to or negative towards science. There have been some negative comments. I'm sure we all know some examples. But, and some of these negative comments are often used by critics of the church to say, ha ha, see, Mormonism is anti-science. But any objective study where you really look at all of these together, it, it's very clear that it's overwhelmingly positive. Uh, evolution sometimes gives people some heartburn. But again, many people have researched this. It's, it's clear now that the, the church has made some very, very clear statements. Uh, there's this one, this 1931 letter from the First Presidency, which is now part of an official uh, packet approved by the First Presidency for uh, for students. It says, leave geology, biology, archaeology, and anthropology, no one of which has to do with the salvation of the souls of mankind to scientific research, while we magnify our calling in the realm of the church. So again, they're saying, let science be science. Uh, let's not uh, occupy ourselves within the realm of the church in scientific controversies. This to me is a very wise counsel because as other writers have noted uh, that a science that's married whole hog to religion today will be a widow tomorrow because scientific theories change and religion will end up on the short end. It's just like a married couple is, off, is well advised to have some measure of independence and not, uh, not be just completely mirror images of each other. They need to bring... Uh, different ideas to, to the table. So uh, I think that all of this we need to think that uh, just take, go out and just look at some of the uh, photos that NASA has on their website. Go out into a wilderness area and look at the wonders of nature. Uh, both religion and science can stand in awe this majesty of the universe, which we now know is far larger, far grander, far more exotic, and far more law-abiding than uh, ever before appreciated in history. Why isn't this cause for celebration? Thank you. One thing I neglected to mention is that we do have volunteers who are circulating with cards and a pen to write down questions. So as you go through um, uh, the different talks today, make sure that you um, any burning questions you have, you write down and hand to one of the volunteers. We have just one question for David uh, this time. It says, is there a church-approved source that states the church's view on science? Um, I think the uh, you can go to the church's own website uh, for some a few general comments. Otherwise, I would say look just look on the internet or do a Google search for the BYU uh, packet on the origin of man and evolution, and that has a number of these statements, including the one that I just read. Thank you, David. Sure. Ahead of time, I'm on. Two minutes ahead of time. Two minutes ahead of time. Well, do you want to take any burning questions from the audience? Sure. Okay, we have time for one burning question from the audience since we didn't uh, 
circulate the cards well enough. Yes, please. Well, I'll, I'll readily admit that I think both parties have been remiss, even within the church, uh, uh, in not really exploring this. And uh, I think even among LDS scientists, we could, have, we could do more in exploring the theology of creation and the theology of evolution. I was just speaking with Steve Peck ahead of time here, and to see if uh, there have been some things written, and I, I think we can do better. And but I, I, I fully uh, appreciate your your concern. This is something that needs to be better understood. We moved away from some of the original traditional strict uh, young Earth six day six twenty four hour day creation scenarios, but we haven't put much in its place. And, and this is something that needs to be done better. Thank you.